Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, democracies on the line. That's President Biden's message as he kicks off his 2024 campaign using the third anniversary of the Capitol insurrection to warn what's at stake if Donald Trump wins another term. Plus, blasting the frontrunner, Ron DeSantis escalated his attacks on Trump over both policy and personality with just days left to close the huge gap with the former president. And don't sit back. The former president needs his supporters to show up on caucus night to win the dominating victory he says he's expecting. It's why he's headed back to Iowa today to try to get out the vote. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start near historic Valley Forge in Pennsylvania, where the George Washington uh, troops were there for a very long time. And he was leading, of course, during the Revolutionary War, fighting against British tyranny. Today, it is where Joe Biden will make his reelection pitch that Donald Trump poses an existential threat to U.S. democracy. CNN's Arlette Signs is there. Arlette, what are you hearing from your sources inside the campaign about what we expect to hear from the president? Well, Dana, President Biden's advisors really view this speech as an opportunity to lay out the foundational arguments of his campaign. President Biden is set to warn that democracy is under threat and former President Donald Trump is the major reason why. They chose the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection because they believe that that was an event that continues to resonate with voters, with one advisor telling us that they believe in the end voters will render judgment on January 6th when they head to the ballot box in November. The president is expected to speak in very blunt terms about the insurrection, as well as what he views as former President Trump's role in that event. He is also expected to call out political violence in this country, saying that any candidate running for president should be able to say that political violence should not be tolerated. The president is also expected to draw on the symbolism of the area. We are just a few miles away from Valley Forge, where George Washington and his troops prepared during a very long winter Uh, for a time of fighting. And the president will draw specifically from some of the words that Washington used himself to describe the mission and resolve of his troops. The president uh, will say that the fundamental question of this election is whether democracy is still a, quote, sacred cause for this country. He's also expected to draw a contrast between Washington, who willingly gave up power after two terms as president, uh, with former President Donald Trump, who has refused to accept the results of the 2020 election. But this all comes as the Biden campaign has really been quite eager to start ramping up their contrast with the former president at a time when the Iowa caucuses, the Republican primary campaign is set to kick off formally in the coming weeks. Uh, In the end, the campaign does believe that democracy is not a sideline issue, it is a central issue of the campaign. But one thing going forward is whether any other types of issues uh, will really resonate and dominate voters' attention. But the president has argued that democracy, everything else flows from it when you think about the economy 
autonomy and also abortion. And they are hoping that this speech today mm -hmm. will really serve as the opening salvo of the campaign. Yeah, and even pre-January uh, 6th, of course, as, as you know, his aides are arguing that the soul of America was uh, the whole crux mm -hmm. of his uh, campaign the first time around after Charlottesville. Arlette, thank you so much for that reporting. Let's talk to our reporters here in the studio, Sungmin Kim of the Associated Press, Margaret Talib of Axios, and Tia Mitchell of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, first of all, I want to say that you two were actually at the Capitol. I was not. Uh, you were not at the Capitol. You were on the Capitol on January 6th. So I want to get to that in a minute. Let's focus first on the speech that uh, President Biden is going to give today. And I just want to kind of condense some of uh, the reporting we heard from Arlette and look at what we have in our story on CNN.com. The fundamental question that the president is going to pose is this. Is democracy still a sacred cause in America? And his answer to that is yes. And he believes that America's answer to that is yes. And he also believes that the election in 2024 is fundamentally about that question. Uh, what are you hearing from your sources at the White House? Well, I think what if anyone who is close to Biden will tell you that this isn't just a political issue. This is sort of at the core of who he is as a human being. This is what he really fundamentally believes, which is why, as you mentioned, he so launched his presidential campaign looking at what happened in Charlottesville, looking arguing about the battle for the soul of the nation and really making that a core of his campaign. And then his advisors would tell you that they believe it just also happens to be good politics for him, which is why not not only you're starting this year with this broad theme of democracy, but it's going to be a continual theme throughout the campaign. And they feel in terms of whether it's good politics, they will argue that it worked well for him when they had their detractors ahead of the midterm elections, that voters really do care about the fundamentals of democracy and that Biden himself will, um, that his his uh, his vow to protect that at all costs will really resonate with voters, especially when they see who's on the other side, which is Donald Trump, who did not willingly let go of this election, pushed after to fight it, and they feel that's a really effective contrast for them. Assuming he gets the nomination. Assuming he gets the nomination. Big caveat. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I was talking to uh, somebody in Biden world before coming on the air who said just a little bit of color that I thought was interesting, that they view this as such an important speech that there was kind of a, a, a message that went out, don't schedule any meetings during the speech. <laughs> like, we all really want to watch this, not to say that they don't all say that they watch the president no matter when he speaks, but this is, is one of those. And we all know covering the White House, having covered the White House, what those moments are, and that is certainly how they view this. The other thing that's interesting is that um, they're kind of hoping that, they, that this is a, a, a trap, that there's bait in this speech for Donald Trump and that he takes the bait and starts to push more and more. We're gonna play in a second that he has been talking about January 6th, but he starts to play more and more on the Biden uh, sort of political battlefield. Right, I mean, I think, uh, Dana, for months now, the question has been, do voters want to hear about January 6th anymore? They care more about the economy. I think it would be a mistake to take that and say voters don't ever want to respond to questions about American democracy again. The issue is that they don't only want Joe Biden focused on January 6th when they want to know that he's doing something on the economy. Um, having said that, it would be like political malpractice for uh, Joe Biden to stop talking about this thing that happened, which is the biggest, forget about political, the biggest um, apolitical argument against Donald Trump is that he refused to acknowledge the election results. 
He got a lot of Americans misinformed and whipped up. Some of them acted violently that day, and there were multiple efforts on the ground as well as beforehand to block or overturn the election results. So that is a core to Joe Biden's argument, not only for why he should be reelected, but for why Donald Trump shouldn't yeah. serve as president again. So of course he's gonna talk about it. The trick for him beyond today is how he balances that with showing Americans that he's focused on the economy, that he's focused on protecting the border, mm -hmm. that he's dealing with crime and all these other issues. Yeah, and I, you were uh, there on January 6th. I'm sure it's hard to him, and we all watched it from the outside in. Uh, you and some of our colleagues here, of course, at CNN were inside uh, and experiencing it. So it must be still sort of odd to hear just only three years hence that Never mind that uh, Joe Biden and, and Democrats and even some of Donald Trump's Republican opponents have to keep reminding uh, people that this was a very dangerous time for democracy. But in some cases, convincing people that this actually happened, happened. right? Which yeah. is still. And, and again, as someone who was there, I can say, you know, there were people who were trying to break into the chambers when Congress was in session to disrupt that session. And um, there were people who died, and I know a lot on the right, they like to talk about Ashley Babbitt. She did die that day. She died because a police officer thought he was protecting members of Congress from a mob. But she wasn't the only person who died that day. There were people trampled by the crowds. Mm -hmm. There were people who had medical emergencies. So I just think it's been whitewashed in a way that's very problematic. And that's why I think a lot of members of Congress, a lot of elected officials will come back to this anniversary year after year because mm -hmm. a thing happened that was very, very serious. And we shouldn't allow people yep. who have an agenda to undermine that. So, Margaret, you mentioned, uh, one of you guys mentioned uh, the notion that, that democracy isn't necessarily high on the list when pollsters ask people about it. And we'll just show one example, uh, Gallup poll, last month, election slash democracy was only at 5%. One interesting note that I heard from uh, a Biden source this morning was to look at it a different way, which is right track, wrong track, which we're going to pull up from a different poll. This is the Wall Street Journal uh, in, in December. And I mean, look, historically, if you're a political strategist and you see that, you say, uh-oh, this is really bad news for Joe Biden. The, what the Biden campaign says is that part of that people worried about the wrong track is people concerned about the notion of another Trump presidency. And that's what they're trying to play into here. And it's it's nuanced, but it's a critical factor the Biden camp believes and how people feel. Right. And it also goes to their theory that 2024 is not necessarily going to be a referendum on Joe Biden, the incumbent mm -hmm. president, that it is going to be a contrast between Joe Biden and presumably Donald Trump as the Republican candidate. It is a little bit more challenging, certainly compared to 2020, when Joe Biden is the incumbent in the White House. He does have a record that voters and us, the media and the public are scrutinizing. But it is it sort of goes to their case that once we make that effective contrast with Trump, we're confident that voters will land with us. We're, we're almost out of time in the segment, but I do want to quickly play for our viewers because I think it's important. You don't hear it that much. What Donald Trump has been saying recently on the campaign trail about January 6th. I've never spoken to a crowd as large as this. 
And that was because they thought the election was rigged. And they were there proud. They were there with love in their heart. That was an unbelievable, and it was a beautiful day. If you remember in Minnesota, Minneapolis, where they took over the police station, they took it over and they burned it down. By the way, what happened to those people? Are those people in jail with the, J, with the J6 hostages? What happened to those people, come to think of it? They're not in jail with the J6 hostages. I don't call them prisoners, I call them hostages. They're hostages. Right, that's insane. So, uh, and what's going to happen between Joe Biden's speech, the president's speech, and the November general election, if Trump ends up being the nominee, is ads with image after image after image after image mm-hmm. and sound and sound and image and sound and testimonials of what happened, what actually happened that day, mm-hmm. and how it impacted the country and yeah. individual people. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We are sticking, of course, with the big story here on Inside Politics. The 2024 campaign and a frenzy of activity in Iowa just days before the caucus is there. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are escalating their attacks on the front runner. Is there still time, though, to chip away at what looks like a pretty big lead? We'll talk about that next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Just 10 days to go until the Iowa caucuses. Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, they are all in the Hawkeye state today trying to win over those last-minute undecided voters. Haley's first event of the day is over. DeSantis is, is still going on. Both, of course, participated in last night's CNN town hall in Des Moines. That's where our Jeff Zeleny is. He's actually right outside of Des Moines in uh, coming Iowa. Jeff, uh, doesn't look as cold now as it did earlier in the day when I saw you. But what are we hearing from the candidates so far today? Well, Dan, it's really a continuation of the argument that they uh, made last night on stage at Grandview University. And those arguments were considerably sharper and aimed at former President Donald Trump. Obviously, one of the reasons is time is running short for them to draw those distinctions. Of course, distinctions that are very familiar, but they haven't always been articulated by some of these Republican rivals. But this morning, just a a few uh, moments ago, the Florida governor again urging Republicans to consider what Donald Trump did 
and didn't do in office. You didn't do it the first four years. What kind of confidence do we have to know you're going to do? And I look at the border and how bad that is. Uh, and yes, you know, the blame goes on Biden's shoulders. But let's just be clear. If Trump had built the wall like he promised, Biden would not have been able to bring in 8 million people. That's the whole point of a wall. It prevents an invasion of your country. So immigration, of course, one of the biggest flashpoints in American politics at the moment. DeSantis there sort of doing a one-two punch or trying to, blaming Donald Trump for not building the wall, then, of course, uh, blaming the Biden administration for the current crisis at the border. Nikki Haley, for her part, is really uh, urging voters to think about electability. Last night, she said, Americans don't want another nail-biter election. They want to move on to a new generation of leaders. Here's what she said this morning in Des Moines. I get it. I mean, you look at the situation in our country. And whether you think Joe Biden is a nice man or not, you feel it everywhere. It's Democrat chaos, whether it's the economy, whether it's education, whether it's the border. There's a reason 75 percent of Americans don't want a Trump Biden rematch. They're tired. They want to see something go forward. And what I am telling you is. I'm not talking about just Republicans. I'm talking about winning the majority of Americans. Because if we're going to save our country, we've got to stop all the division and the fighting. So new television ads also are on the air heading into this uh, second to last weekend of campaigning. Uh, Nikki Haley's super PAC, which now has spent more than any other entity in Iowa, which is extraordinary when you think about it, because a year ago she didn't have a super PAC Mm -hmm. like this. And they are making the electability argument as well. So, Dana, when we kind of exhale here and think about the final 10 days of this Iowa caucus campaign, it's ending in an entirely different way than it started. Uh, Ron DeSantis, he was the leading rival to Donald Trump. He came into Iowa with so much promise. Of course, he has struggled throughout the year, but his advisors believe that he is closing stronger. And I think we saw that improved and changed Mm -hmm. performance last night on the uh, town hall stage. He is looking forward to a one-on-one debate next week with Nikki Haley to really draw those distinctions. We should also point out, though, Donald Trump arrives in just a few hours. He's trying to keep his supporters all on board and and fired up as well. Dana? Yeah, he sure is. Uh, I'm just I'm still stuck on you saying we're exhaling. I'm still very much inhaling, but I'll, I'll take your <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Maybe it'll feel different when I get to the get to that great state of Iowa. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much, Jeff. Appreciate it. Uh, Bring your earmuffs. It'll be cold next I will. I'm going to have a lot more than that. Uh, Back with our panel here. So I want to go back to what uh, Jeff was just talking about. And this morning, you heard DeSantis, you just played it, really stepping up, uh, I would say kind of finally, uh, when it comes to to Donald Trump. He started it last night. What we just heard was about the border. It was about a lot more than the border when he was uh, with Caitlin Collins at our town hall last night. I think a 2024 election where the Democrats get to run against a candidate that is going through all this stuff, that is going to give the Democrats an advantage. You don't want it to be a referendum on Trump and the past. You want it to be a referendum on Biden's failures. Donald Trump's not willing to show up on the debate stage. Has he come to communities and answered questions? Do you think Donald Trump is not pro-life? 
course not. I mean, when, when you're saying that pro-life protections are a terrible thing, by definition, you are not pro-life. That, Margaret, to me, was among the most interesting answers that he gave, because it is true that Donald Trump, for most of his life, was very openly pro-choice, yes. in his words. He changed. And then he with, became a Republican candidate. And he changed. Right. And, and he provided the Supreme Court that overturned Roe. So it's like, the, on the one hand, he might not be wrong about his true feelings, but these voters might say, who cares what his true feelings are? He, the he, he finally did what we wanted to do. Yeah. All of these arguments are arguments that when you listen to, you're like, yeah, that seems like something that someone who wanted to unseat Donald Trump and, and take over as the nominee of a party would say in August or the <laughs> summer before. It's like a week until the caucuses. And now that you're starting to the beginning of the ramping up of the attacks uh, on Donald Trump. It's very interesting. But I will say this. Um, Iowa caucuses are different than primaries in other yeah. places. And uh, polls are imperfect. They're kind of the best thing we have to try to study what large groups of, of people think about different issues. But what happens in caucuses is turnout is more important than in any other kind of contest. Yeah. And that people are persuadable right up until the moment when they have chosen which part of the room they want to stand in, basically. Yeah. And so that has been one of the big questions. And, and Jeff has been alluding to it is what is Donald Trump's ground game? Does he really have Iowa locked down? Do Iowans feel that he's taken them for granted? What's the deal with the evangelical vote? You know, there is a lot more possibility to move things at the last minute, yeah. but in no time in Iowa history has anything moved well, that much. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, that the caucuses are different. They are very different for a lot of reasons. What Nikki Haley said this morning uh, about the fact that she wants Democrats and independents to to re-register and cross over to go and caucus uh, for her. I mean, she's trying to appeal above and beyond uh, the Republican base, the Trump base. And the question is whether that's going to work. It is a message, again, that she's stepping up when it comes to the far and away front runner, Donald Trump. She started that. Well, she didn't start that, but she added to that last night with Aaron. You said rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. Is it rightly or wrongly? Does, is both. he the one who causes that chaos, or is he just the unwitting victim? It's both. I mean, you see a lot of these cases they've brought against him are political in nature, and there's no basis on it. And then you see some that he's going to have to answer for. I used to tell him he's his own worst enemy. And so I think at the end of the day... We don't need anyone who's getting in their feelings. We don't need anyone that's getting personal about anything. We have a country to save. I loved her question. Is it rightly or wrongly? Yeah. And I think, you know, Nikki Haley's answer was interesting because there are a lot of people, Democrats, and I would guess some independents, who don't think these court cases are politically motivated. They think that Donald Trump is finally being held accountable for some of the things he's done. And so, uh, again, this kind of saying, well, it's both, this both sidesism can once again put Nikki Haley in a position where her answer pleases no one, because there are other people on maybe on the right who want her to be more defensive of Donald Trump, who don't who thinks he's the victim in all of this. Um, but I, uh, she's making the electability um, case, mm -hmm. but she's still that distant second going into Iowa. And I don't know if 
this closing message is really able to shift much. Right, right. I think um, electability has really been kind of her focus for a while, because if you do look at some of the horse race polling that's out there, putting up um, the various Republican candidates up against Joe Biden, she does do better than the other people in the race. But because of because of whether um, the, the way that she's tried to dance around Trump. And I, I would argue that DeSantis has actually gone a little bit harder against Trump than Haley in, in the last you know day or so. Um, I think she's still not really going to get that, you know, get the voter. She's, she's yeah. not really going to please anyone. You know, there are going to be people who say you're not going hard enough against Trump. And then the people who are, you know, pro-Trump, they're saying, I don't really like what she's saying here either. And before we move on uh, from this conversation, we uh, we played a little bit of DeSantis. We don't have time to play more, but hopefully everybody out there watched the town hall <laughs> last night. Uh, did he seem different to you? I mean, he's the, the town hall format. It's kind of what we've talked about before is that, you know, it's like uh, they're like athletes, politicians or like anybody who is trying to perfect their craft. If you do it over and over and over, you tend to get better at it. And he has been out there over and over again. And he seemed uh, more comfortable. I do. I think uh, Haley, I think, is still passive in her criticism of Trump. She'll sort of dance with an act of criticism, but it's mostly passive. You, you see DeSantis uh, yeah, m much more active in saying Donald Trump is the problem. It's just so late in the game yeah. and comes after so much pummeling. And after his, his money is running out, his momentum has, has stalled, you just, it gives you a glimpse into the interior sort of dialogue of candidates as they have thought all these months, how do we play this without alienating? How do we change the dynamic without turning off a big chunk of the Republican electorate? And he's still struggling with it and, and changing strategies right up until the final. Okay, well, up next we are gonna talk about the expectations game because Donald Trump is back in Iowa today promising a caucus night blowout. The bar is very high, he's setting it there. So could he lose even if he wins? Donald Trump will spend the next two days campaigning in Iowa as he promises a big win in the state that kicks off the Republican nominating contests. He's holding four rallies there today and tomorrow after phoning it in last night, literally. His son Eric put him on speakerphone as an Iowa event uh, went on to deliver a message to his supporters. We love you. I'm going to be coming out there on Friday. I'm going to be there Friday and Saturday. Then I'm coming back the following week. And I'm going to caucus probably in Des Moines. I'll be doing caucus uh, with you. We're going to work it and we can't take any chances. And everybody has to get out because we don't want to sit back and rely on the polls. Yeah. The panel is back with me. I mean, that that last part really says it all. Yeah. You've got to get out. You've got to go and caucus. Absolutely. And I think Donald Trump is is right in, in the way he's playing this. And that's the problem with Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Yes, they're making really interesting new closing arguments, trying to do the best thing they can to get in the game with Trump. But Trump's got a closing argument of his own, and he's coming from the position as the front runner. So he's able, he already has an enthusiastic base. 
He already has folks who, of course, in Iowa, especially the evangelical voters, they're ready to support him. And now he's coming in with his own closing argument to say, hey, stick with me, stick with me through caucuses. He's I mean, the fact that he's saying I'm going to be there caucusing with you. He's like, come on, let's let's get this thing done. Yeah, no question. OK, so that is in Iowa, which obviously is the first ball game. Uh, that we're going to see in 10 days. He has an ad running there, uh, his his team does, and it's actually already kind of looking ahead to the general hitting Joe Biden on the economy. In New Hampshire, interesting that uh, there is an ad, his campaign is running an ad that goes against not just Joe Biden, but Nikki Haley. Haley and Biden oppose Trump's border wall, confirm warnings of terrorists sneaking in through our southern border. Yet Haley joined Biden in opposing Trump's visitor ban from terrorist nations. Haley's weakness puts us in grave danger. So that's one ad. And just to give a little bit of context, uh, the uh, Trump campaign and his super PAC have spent four and a half million dollars in New Hampshire just going after Nikki Haley. That says a lot about the concern they have about Nikki Haley's rise. Uh, yeah, I, like period, full stop. There's really no other way to read that. Mm -hmm. And um, not only uh, if he if he blunts her in New Hampshire, he's blocked that momentum and it's, it's hard to see where she picks it back up. If he fails to, he may create an opening for himself uh, that creates a problem where there wasn't one. So if you're gonna spend the money in a primary, that's where you would spend it and that's how you would spend it on. It doesn't seem surprising to me at all. Uh, interesting to see how she will play it. She's had a couple of totally unforced errors, you know, uh, of, of her own doing. And um, I, I just, I think that'll be a really important test for her. Well, it is that kind of the line that she's trying to walk that, that we were talking about earlier, which is trying to appeal to people even, and it's certainly true in, uh, in New Hampshire, not Democrats, but independents, uh, and trying to get in, in Iowa people who are not traditional Republican caucus vote, voters to go out and get her. Uh, but she also is very much trying to say to the Trump wing of the party, I'm still one of you. And this new ad that she's got running in New Hampshire with General Don Bolduc, who was the Republican Senate candidate, very much uh, in the mold of Donald Trump, even though he didn't fully get endorsed by Donald Trump. Listen to what he says in this new ad. I'm General Don Bolduc. Look, I'm MAGA all the way. I've always been America first. But this time, I'm for Nikki Haley for president. With Trump, there's too many distractions. It's too much risk of losing. Nikki's a strong conservative. She'll take Joe Biden to the clink. Take Joe Biden to the clink. Uh, this is kind of on the, the, the backstory here. What's going on uh, along with this kind of new ad is Don Jr., Steve Bannon, others in Donald Trump's actual orbit are very, very vocally warning against Nikki Haley in any respect, not just for president, obviously, but even the notion of her being on the ticket with Donald Trump. Right, right. And I was just watching that ad and I was contrasting it in my head. If you're talking about the different sort of 
voters that she's trying to appeal to. So she has that endorsement who is a Trumpy guy in Don Bolduc. And then you have another key New Hampshire uh, Republican endorser, John Sununu, who is certainly not a Trump Chris. guy. Or sorry, Chris Sununu. Mm -hmm. Ah, yikes. It's okay. <laughs> There's a lot of them up there. <laughs> um, it, it, so you do, just in those two endorsements alone from New Hampshire Republicans, you do see that line that she's trying to straddle and the broad appeal that she's trying to give to um, give to New, give, give to New Hampshire Republican voters. And I think, again, that's a great strategy. I don't know if that's a Republican primary strategy that will work. Because again, in New Hampshire is a different type of primary. So maybe that's good for New Hampshire. But generally speaking, Republican voters have told us time and time again that their party is leaning further to the right. They're not, they haven't in a lot of states been open to the more centrist candidates. That, that electability in a general election doesn't yeah. always translate in a Republican primary. But again, New Hampshire is a different kind of state with a different kind of primary. So maybe that will help maybe, her build a coalition. It, but it's also very Trumpy uh, when it comes to the Republican base. We would be remiss in talking about Donald Trump if we didn't talk about Donald Trump, the, uh, the client. Donald Trump, uh, the person who is, uh, has been indicted uh, more than 90 times on various counts. And I say that, of course, because as we get closer to the caucuses, to the primaries, he's going to peel off the trail, uh, probably a fair amount to be in courtrooms, including next week he'll be here in D.C. at the appellate court uh, at a hearing there. I want to play something that one of his lawyers, Alina Hava, said uh, on Fox yesterday. And it's about what they hope that the Supreme Court does on the idea of whether or not he should be subject to uh, the kinds of laws that other people who weren't president are. I think it should be a slam dunk in the Supreme Court. I have faith in them. You know, people like um, Kavanaugh, who the president fought for, who the president went through, held to get into place. He'll step up. Those people will step up, not because they're pro-Trump, but because they're pro-law. If I'm Fred Kavanaugh, I'm like, OK, well, you just put me in a box. And not that it not that it matters. They are lifetime appointments. Uh, but so it's that. It's the notion of... Um, immunity. Yeah. And then, of course, the question of whether or not he can be kicked off the ballot in Colorado and Maine and anywhere else. Uh, well, first of all, I think it's a pretty dangerous game to be predicting what nominees who were appointed by someone are going to do. That just seems like it's courting trouble. But having said that, I think these are two fundamentally different questions. Number one, does the sort of Maine approach or Colorado approach, do, does that make it through the court? But the other is the question, the broader question of presidential immunity? Can someone who uh, ever served as president ever be held accountable for something they did mm -hmm. in the waning days of their presidency or afterwards? And I think, to, to me, the way the court thinks about one question is going to be completely different than the way it thinks about the other. And legal scholar after legal scholar has said, if every president is immunized forever against anything they ever do because they were president, it would it would invite like the worst presidents, you know, um, basically in the future of the United States, because people would run to basically try to immunize themselves for everything. So I think the court is it has a ton of really complicated stuff to figure out. But predicting what people who Trump nominated are going to do 
and conflating what happens in some of these individual states with the broader yeah. executive power question, I think, is really I took that as even more than a prediction, didn't you? I mean, this is Trump's <laughs> lawyer. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. remember who brought you to the dance, Brett Kavanaugh? That's the way I oh, took that. time appointment. I don't think he needs to remember anything. Yeah. Well, that's very, very true. Uh, everybody stand by. We want to remind you that there is a CNN Republican presidential debate. It's set for next Wednesday night. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are going to face off at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. I will be moderating along with my colleague, Jake Tapper. Tomorrow does mark three years since the attack on the United States Capitol. Stunningly, a quarter of Americans think January 6th might have been an inside job. Next. We're going to speak to a historian about that fateful day and the right way for President Biden to talk about it. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. A sacred cause. That's how President Biden is going to describe the fight to preserve democracy in his first campaign event of the year later this afternoon. He prepared for the big speech by sitting down for lunch earlier this week with a small group of historians, and my next guest was one of them. Princeton professor Sean Wilentz joins me now. Thank you so much for being here. I know that uh, you can't disclose specifics of what the president said, which I completely understand and respect. But can you just describe the the overall tone of the conversation and uh, kind of why you were there and what he was hoping to achieve? Right. Well, great, great to be with you, Dana. We were talking about American history. We were talking about the situation we're in now and what the past has to, what light it has to shed on the present. Um, you know, it's an extraordinary time. It's been that way for a while. A long time. Um, in fact, the president got into the race in the first place back in 2019, precisely because things, because of Charlottesville and because of things that were happening there. And it, things haven't really changed very much. And if anything, they've only gotten worse. So the president, who's a student of history, really wanted to get our views mm -hmm. of how, you know, how we're st to look upon the, the current situation in the historical perspective. And that's what we did. Well, on that, you're obviously a uh, a very good person to to talk to about that because you're not just a historian. You have a large body of work focused on American democracy, specifically looking at that. And and I want to ask you about that. Looking ahead to the speech this afternoon, um, about mm -hmm. why it is so important to to Joe Biden and also the location, Valley Forge. Uh, I was talking to somebody uh, in the Biden uh, orbit earlier today who noted that he will lean heavily into the idea that George Washington, not General Washington, but President Washington, uh, willingly gave up the presidency uh, with a not so mm -hmm. subtle contrast to his predecessor who did not. Yes, in terms of the succession of power, there were those who wanted to make, you know, General Washington, President Washington, a kind of king, and he refused to do that. Uh, the American Revolution was fought against monarchy or fought against that system of government. I think that he's choosing Valley Forge, though. That, that's a military site. Sure. 
that's a site when this, the spirits of the American Revolution were at a, at a low. It didn't seem as if the army was going to hold together. You know, they were stuck out there in the snows of Pennsylvania in that winter, and uh, things were not looking good. So it was a low point at which, in fact, the American cause under Washington rallied. And I think he, he's chosen that, that mm. spot particularly with that in mind, you know, that we're at a crisis now. We've been in a crisis for a while, but now is a very difficult moment. So I think that to the extent that he's going to be, you know, calling upon that symbolism, it's, it's as much to rally people mm. behind the, uh, the American ideal, behind the, 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 you know, the democratic ideal, um, as much as anything else. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. That, ma- that makes sense. I want to get your take on a really staggering statistic. There's a new Washington Post and University of Maryland poll that shows 34 percent of Republicans 34% of Republicans, so a third of Republicans, believe the conspiracy theory that FBI operatives organized and encouraged the January 6th attack. Um, I should also say that 30% of independents and 13% of Democrats also believe that. Uh, can you put this into historical context? And, you know, history is, uh, it, it might be hard to do because in the current climate, the media is so fractured and there are so many different right. ways to get information that a lot of the people probably who said that are only consuming information from outlets that are feeding them these conspiracy theories. I think you've had exactly the right point, Dana. I mean, conspiracy theories are as American as apple pie. It's been mm. part of American politics from the very beginning. But, you know, now we have the possibility of being unable to un- disprove them. You know, it's very difficult because people are fed, constantly fed these ideas that, you know, they, they, they make an uncertain world look clear, look, you know, look plausible. Um, you know, things are not messy. Thing, things are messy. Things are not to get. Well, conspiracies give you someone to blame. Mm. And uh, with the Trump campaign, I mean, Trump has taken it to a whole different level. I mean, we've had conspiracies. Just thinking about the conspiracies of the 19, conspiracy theories of the 1950s um, during the McCarthy era. And they were out there and they had their day, but they were eventually undone. Um, but Joe McCarthy didn't have social media. Joe McCarthy didn't have Truth Social. Mm. He didn't have the kinds of things that 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 you know former President Trump has at his disposal to c- continually feed these ideas. Um, so it doesn't surprise me actually that that larger percentage of the Republican people, self-described Republicans, believe that. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I, I, the Republican Party. I don't think the Republican Party actually exists anymore in the way that mm. I was as a historian. I've looked at it. I mean, it's now something else. It's turned into something else. Yeah. This happens in American history. Parties come, parties go. Mm. In the 1850s, the, the Whig Party disappeared. A new party came along. Well, I think we've seen some of that now. That The mm. Republican Party, it's not just that it's not your grandfather's Republican Party. It's not the Republican yeah. Party. It's something no. else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the party of Lincoln and the Democrats are the ones who wanted to keep slavery in the South. Very different times, for sure. Uh, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back soon. Appreciate it. Up My next, pleasure. See you next- again. Thank you. Up next, a hero of January 6th wants to return to the Capitol in a very different role, a member of Congress. One of the most outspoken figures in the aftermath of January 6th, former Capitol Police officer Harry Dunn hopes to return to work in the building with a new job title, U.S. Congressman. Dunn was on duty during the attack and later testified before the House January 6th committee. He says... Former President Trump's role in the Capitol riot inspired him to run. He told CNN, quote, I want to do everything in my power that I can to fight back against him. 
Thank you so much for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after the break. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 